Well, good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you have joined us today, whether it's through our YouTube page or our Facebook page. We're just delighted that you have uh, joined us for our worship service. We pray that you enjoy uh, the service today. I know you've enjoyed the singing that has taken place already, and we we want to turn our attention to the Word of God. Uh, before we do turn our attention there, I do want to say thank you to Brother Gerald Goolsby, who, while I was out last week, uh, filled in and done a great job with the message. And we just thank God that God has blessed this church with several ministers that I can call on who are willing to serve in such a way. Well, today we are jumping to chapter 6 in the book of Acts. What we've been talking about throughout this, our time in the book of Acts has been the church's response. We've been looking at how the church has been responding to different things, at different events, different circumstances. And today we want to see the church's response to its first problem. The church's response to its first problem problem. And when we look here in chapter 6 verses 1 through 7, what we find is this is a text often that is preached uh, during an ordination service for a deacon. And, and But today I don't want us to focus on what would be focused on in an ordination service, which are the, the requirements to be a deacon. And the responsibility of being a deacon. But we want to focus on how the church responds to the first problem that the early church experienced. You know, when you think of deacons, there are many things that can be said. Many things that are, that are, are said in jest. Uh, in other words, said with humor and laughter. And I, I don't know why deacons are often picked at like this, but, but we find it very often to be the case. And, and I read this and I, I, I got a little chuckle out of it. I thought you would enjoy it. But what I read was a deacon sent his apologies to the, um, for Sunday morning service, uh, claiming that he was ill with the flu and he would not be able to attend. Now, one of the members, however, said that he had seen the deacon on his way to a ball game. So after the service, the pastor went to visit this particular deacon. And when he got to his home, he said, brother, I have information that you were not sick at all this morning, but you went to watch a ball game. And the deacon responded this way. He said, that's a vicious lie, and I'll show you the fish to prove it. Yeah, now if that went over your head, just, just hold on a little while. You'll, you'll get it. It'll come. <laughs> It'll come to you. You know, as, as we approach today's passage, we do want to begin to notice that we begin to see the birth of the servant leadership within the church. Now, as a Southern Baptist church, we recognize the scriptures teachings of two offices within the New Testament church. And those offices are that of the office of the pastor or elder, and then the office of deacon. Now, the office of elder or pastor is set up to meet the spiritual needs of the congregation, while the office of the deacon is set up to meet the day-to-day -day needs of the church. 
Now, both offices have different responsibilities and different primary roles. However, it is vital that both of these offices work together for the overall ministry of the church. Now, as we begin to look at this passage, what we'll notice is that the word deacon is not in our English translations, not in this passage, but still it's assumed that this is the first reference to that office that we would come to know as the deacon in the Bible. Uh, Join me as we look in chapter six, verses one through seven. The Bible says now, In those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procreus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, this is God's holy word. Pray with us, would you? God, as we do come before you, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for for loving us and taking care of us and bringing us to this point in time. Now, God, we ask that you would be with us through the remainder of this service and whatever said and done would bring glory and honor to you. God, we pray that it would magnify your son and those who are listening who don't know you, who have not received your son as their personal savior, who do not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and you'd call them to yourself. And today they would respond by faith and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God, we'll give you praise for everything that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Now, as we are looking into this passage, we notice three things that takes place. We, as we look at the church's response, there are three things that take place. One is, the, is what took place leading up to the response. So the office of deacon, it's come due to the first complaint of the church. It was because of this complaint that we now have the office of deacon within the church. The first complaint of the church came about due to what was perceived or or even by some what was a fact that certain widows were being neglected. Two groups seemed to have formed within the church and and one group began complaining and grumbling about the other group. This complaint centered on the fact that one group felt their widows were not getting the attention 
that they deserved. Now, some would wonder why. Why would the early church be experiencing such an issue? Why would there be some sort of discrimination taking place within the early church? And that's exactly what's taking place. There is some discrimination that's going on. Well, why would this be taking place? Well, the early church was experiencing rapid growth. And when rapid growth takes place, there are needs that arise very quickly. And if you don't have a plan in place to meet those needs, then there's going to be some complaints wherever that growth takes place. Now, the problem is that usually plans aren't put in place until the ideal meets the real. What I mean is, is that when a church is growing with new converts, we would think that everyone would be loving each other and taking care of each other. We would think that everyone would be on the same page with each other, that no one would fathom ever neglecting the needs of someone else. But that might be ideal, but that's just not real. We are still flesh and blood, and, and no matter that, that how long we've been saved or that the fact that we are saved, we still wrestle with our flesh. What's natural or, or what, what um, our flesh desires is that we look out for ourselves. But scripture instructs us that we're to look out for others over ourselves. As a matter of fact, Philippians 2 and 3 tells us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And the truth is, we can't nor will we do this naturally. This takes growing in grace. In other words, we must follow Romans 12 and 2, which tells us to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And for those of us who have spent a lifetime looking out for ourselves only, this doesn't happen overnight. It takes spending time with God in God's word and practicing God's word in our lives. So why? Why would there need to be a plan? Well, here we have different groups within the church. There were those Hebrews who were born and reared in Palestine. Then there were those Jews, these Hebrews that were born and reared in Palestine. They spoke the Aramaic language, which had been adopted from the, from the Hebrew language. And they rejected all the Gentile or Greek culture completely. But then there was another group who were called the Hellenists. These were Jews who had been scattered or deported or, or even dispersed all over the world by the Romans. These Hellenist Jews had adopted Greek culture. They spoke Greek language and many of them would return to the feast of the Lord, the feast of Pentecost or the feast of the tabernacle. And, and when they would turn back to Jerusalem for these feasts, it seemed that at Pentecost that some of these men and women, they, they were converted. They come to, to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as they were converted, some had delayed their, their trip back home or, or even had just made plans to just move back to Jerusalem. 
And as these groups were brought together with two different lifestyles and two different ways of thinking, they had, while they had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that was their common bond, obviously there were some things that they still had to work through to be fully comfortable with each other. And, and I want to tell us that, and I want to remind us that, that it's not always easy and things don't happen overnight, but sometimes it takes time and it takes dependence on God and allowing God to work in our lives to get us to where we need to be. I don't know about you, but I'm still not who God intends for me to be, but I'm not who I used to be either. He's still working on me just like he's working on you. And he was still working in the lives of these men and women, even though there was this complaint that had took place. Now, would you believe that in churches today, in 2020, that, and, I, and what I'm speaking about, about is predominantly rural churches, you will find that there are many who will reject anyone holding a position within that church if they did not grow up in that particular church. Folks, when things like this happens, we need to, we can't help but expect that there's going to be complaints brewing within the church. Truth of the matter is that there was some prejudice that was showing up in the early church. And truth is, there's prejudice today, even in our churches. And if this prejudice in the early church wasn't dealt with properly with a proper plan by the proper people, then it could have negatively affected the church. And we ourselves must be careful that we don't allow prejudice to take control within the church. Our members, uh, as members of rural communities and rural churches, we must have open minds as we see new and different people moving into our communities and coming and attending our churches. Some may not look like us. Some may not talk like us. Some may be from another state. Some may even be from another country. But if they come in and they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they come in and they show themselves faithful to the Lord, faithful to their family, faithful to the church, then we can't discriminate against them because they look different or sound different or not originally from our community. Folks, if we hold on to those things, there's going to be more complaints and more division within the church. Than what we'll be able to handle. And I want to tell you. Out of this first complaint. Of the New Testament church. Or within the New Testament church. It brought about the first conference. For the church. As we look here. When, when this complaint came before the apostles. They called the whole congregation together. You know what's interesting here is. And, and this can't be overlooked. It's the fact that the apostles did not deny that the complaint had merit. As a matter of fact, they acknowledged that there was a problem that existed. And folks, I want to remind us today that you can't hope a problem away. You can't wait a problem away. You can't, you can't just look and say, just hold on, just, just leave it alone. It'll go away. It doesn't go away. It just festers. They may get quiet for a while. But you can rest assured, 
if it isn't dealt with properly, with a proper plan by the proper people, then that complaint will always be in the life and the heart of those who have a legitimate complaint. Here, it appears these apostles had noticed the attitudes of some, of one group toward the other. And they wisely brought together to begin, brought everyone together to begin working on a plan to solve the problem. And so after bringing the church together, the apostles shared their priority. Their priority was the word of God. Here he tells us that they shouldn't leave the word of God and serve tables. In other words, their priority, their main goal, their main focus has to be on the study of the word of God. For the Bible tells us that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we can't do this if we're not spending time in God's word. It appears Peter remembered a conversation he had with Jesus just before Jesus' ascension. We find this conversation in John 21, 13 through 17, where we find that Jesus asked Peter three different times in this conversation, do you love me? And all three times Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And each time Peter answered Jesus' question, Jesus followed up with, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. You know what it appears to me as I was going through this and thinking about how all of this was unfolding? It appears to me that Peter remembered that two out of three times Jesus instructs him to feed. And one out of three times he instructs him to tend. Ooh. Think about this now. Two out of three times. The instruction to Peter is to feed. One out of the three times he's instructed to tend. And Peter is saying that in order for the apostles to feed the people, they must spend time in the word of God. Keep in mind, Peter recognized that there was an instruction to tend to the sheep. So he called out to the church and to choose from among them seven men. However, these weren't, they weren't just to choose any seven men, but they were to choose seven men who would serve them righteously and without prejudice. These seven men would be men and, and it shares with us right here what they are to look for. Men, first, it's men of, of an honest report. In other words, these are men with a good reputation. These are men with integrity. These are men who are trustworthy, moral, and upright. These were men who were faithful to God, faithful to their family, and faithful to the church. But he also shares that you should be men full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, these are, these are men who, in their daily lives, that the fruit of the Spirit is lived out with them. And he tells them they should be men of wisdom. They were to be men who displayed the ability to make decisions righteously and to righteously handle the vision that might arise within the church. 
Now make no mistake about this. Peter wasn't trying to pass off his duty. Instead, he realized the work of the ministry of the church was too large for the apostles to handle all by themselves. Now remember what these growths were. They were a spurt where there were 3,000 added to the church. Another day when there was 5,000 added to the church. Another day where there were others added to the church. And 12 men couldn't govern this as well as well as spend time in God's word. They needed help as they were doing the ministry that they were called to do. The priority of the apostles had to be given to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That had to have their attention more than anything else. So they had to have help when it come to attending to the sheep. You know, I've said this before and I, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to share it again. I'm so glad that the first item of the job description that you voted on to present to me states that the pastor's responsibility to the church is to proclaim the gospel with the goal of reaching persons for Christ and fostering academic, emotional, social, and spiritual growth. In other words here, my number one objective as your pastor is to proclaim the gospel. And the only way that I can do that is to give time to prayer and the ministry of God's word. And I'm so grateful that you not only understand this, but that you desire that I make this my priority. Oh, I'm blessed to be at a church who puts an emphasis on the word of God. Too many churches are putting emphasis on devotional time and, and music. Some are putting more of an emphasis on programs. But I'm so glad this is a church that puts an emphasis on the gospel being declared. As we continue to grow as a church, the needs of our church will continue to grow. And if I get so sidetracked that I'm spending too much time tending to the needs of the church rather than spending time in prayer and the word of God, then I myself will be sacrificing the worship of God for the work of the church. And Samuel told Saul in 1 Samuel 15 and 22, oh, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do have a responsibility to tend to the congregation, but my priority must be the gospel. And I'm so glad that we have men who you've chosen to be deacons in our church. Men who are willing to share in the work of the church along with me. Not only are they willing to share and tend to the needs of the congregation, but some of them sharing and sharing the gospel through preaching and through the teaching of the gospel. And listen, folks, some of you have received phone calls here recently from, from, from different deacons. And as you receive these, these phone calls, they've told you that they, they're your deacon. And, and if you have an issue, they'll pray with you or, or they just call to check up on you. And I'm a, I, I imagine it makes you feel good that the leaders, the servant leaders of this church is willing to look out for their, for their members. But I want to encourage you with this and I want to lift them up for this. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't something that I brought to them, but it was something that they brought to one another. It was the deacons who come up with this and deacons who suggested to at least try this. And, and I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, work with them. It's new to them. It may be new to you, but it's new to them. And, and you have men that you can 
call on who's willing to pray, who's willing to, to seek out whatever they may need to seek out to meet whatever needs that you have. Oh, we're blessed to have the men that we have serving this church. Folks, because of this first complaint, there was a first conference. And out of the first conference, we find the first ceremony of the church. Now, this wasn't the first worship service that took place. But it was the first noted ceremony. The first official ordination took place following this business meeting. In choosing seven men as the first deacons of the church, the church displayed love and humility. Again, let me remind us, it was the Hellenist Jews who brought about a complaint against the Hebrews. And at this conference, they were instructed to choose seven men, men of a good report, a good reputation, men filled with the Holy Spirit and men filled with wisdom. And out of this conference, seven Hellenist Jews were chosen to be the first deacons. The largest segment of the church humbled themselves to the minority. Oh, this ought to, uh, this ought to speak to us. It, it wasn't just that they humbled themselves to the minority, but everyone was pleased. The Bible says everyone was pleased. Oh, what an example this early church sets for us. What an example they set to help us understand that there's a right way to settle disputes. It's not getting angry with one another, but it's looking at the truth. The truth was the Hebrews, they didn't deserve any of these leadership positions because they were already neglecting their responsibility, which was to make sure that everyone was took care of. No, they were looking at toward themselves and they had selfish ambitions and it was the Hellenists that was trying to look over everyone. They weren't upset that the Hebrews were, were being took care of. What they were upset about was that the Hellenists, they were being neglected. They weren't asking, take away from some and give to them. But they were saying, just don't forget us. And because of this, the spirituality of these Hellenists seemed to over, overmatch that of the Hebrews. And, and they chose these seven men who were Hellenists. One of them was even a proselyte. And they chose them out of the minority to serve in these positions. And in their celebration of this, they held a ceremony to set these newly elected men apart. This ceremony set them apart. The church came together, led by the apostles, and prayed for these men, laid hands upon these men, commissioning them or ordaining them to the ministry. 
Now listen, these ordination services, they're still taking place in churches all around the world. As a matter of fact, I spent two years as chairman of the ordination committee for our association. And as the chairman, when a church called upon the association to assist them in ordaining new deacons, I would ask the pastor, if these men or this man that we are ordaining, is he already doing deacon work without the title? I would ask that because if they were not doing deacon work without the title, chances are they wouldn't do deacon work with the title. What I mean is, if it didn't mean that much to them without the title, chances are they want the title for a different reason. They wanted the title so that they could be perceived as a boss instead of a servant. Many who become deacons and deacons of a church, they believe that it's their time that they get to rule and to govern the church. But that's not the role of the deacon. The deacon's role is to serve the church. In every church, this may look different, but the deacons are not rulers. They are servants. They don't go and tell people what to do. They try to find out how they can serve people to make sure that we're satisfied with the work of the ministry. According to scripture. Not according to our own thoughts. You know, because. <laughs> because. Men have failed to see their primary role as deacons are to serve. They're failing to see what Luke said that their role is, and that is to wait tables. Too often deacons have wanted to govern, and the pastor has been left to do all the tending to the congregation. And not only is he left to tend to the congregation, but he's left to feed the congregation. And this too often leads to the pastor being criticized by the church members for not tending to them properly. And if the pastor is doing a great job at tending to the congregation, then he's often criticized for not feeding the congregation. With a congregation, the pastor can't do everything. There has to be some servant leaders within the church. And church, you can believe me or not, but a church will not experience substantial growth through programs, through waiting of tables, or even through music. The church will experience sustained growth only through the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that has the power to change lives. It's through the preaching and teaching of the gospel that we make disciples. And it's disciples of Jesus Christ who win souls to the kingdom of God. You don't believe that? Look there in verse 7. Verse 7 tells us, the, tells us that out of this, the word of God spread. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many priests were obedient to the faith. Listen, folks, when, when it says that we're talking about priests of a religion of the of Judaism. 
they were obedient in both receiving Jesus Christ and in following Jesus Christ. They embraced the gospel and they began to live out the gospel. Oh, I'm so glad that we have a church who have men who see that there is, it's important to not only see to the needs of the church, but in seeing to the needs of the church, it's not just the building, but it's the people. And I want to ask you, as men and myself, as those who teach and preach the gospel throughout this church, throughout our community, as you have heard the gospel message that Jesus Christ, the son of God, left glory and come to this sin-cursed world and he gave his life for you. That he has now defeated death, hell, and the grave and he sits at the right hand of the father making intercession for those who believe. Are you ready to believe and receive him as your savior? Are you ready to become like these priests or this number of disciples that multiplied greatly. If you are without a savior, are you ready now for a savior? Because what you know is, at least in this church, we understand the role of the offices of the church. The pastor's role is to pray and to study. And the deacon's role is to serve along with the pastor. Now, are you ready to give your life to the Lord knowing that there are people who will pray for you, who will teach you, and who will minister to your needs? Oh, you're not in this alone. We're all in this together. And while I'm not depending on me, I'm not depending on the deacons and the deacons aren't depending on me and they're not depending on themselves. We're all depending on the Lord to lead us, guide us, direct us, to meet our every need. But we just want to be his hands and feet while we're here. Are you today? Are you today ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? To where soon as you show yourself faithful to your God, to your Savior. Show yourself faithful to your family and to the church. That God will prepare you to serve his people. You can't serve anyone until you become a servant to the master. When you become a servant to the master, he'll teach you to serve others. Are you ready today? Are you ready to meet this man named Jesus? If you are, just pray with me. God, I recognize who I am. I'm flawed, I'm undone, and I'm without a Savior. But God, I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he arose on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. I believe he's by your side awaiting you to send him 
to receive his church. And God, I want to be part of that church. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me white as snow. For God, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Now lead me. Guide me. Help me grow into your grace. And I'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Oh, I believe this is a prayer that if you've prayed and sincerely believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you are saved. Truth is, it's not enough for me to believe. You have to know within your heart that you've been born again. Oh, if you know this, while the choir is singing the song of invitation, if you've come to receive Jesus as your Savior, why not share us a message on our Facebook page or even our YouTube page? Why not send us a call to the church or, or even a text to someone who's part of this church that knows you, that you may know, and just share that today I received Jesus as my Savior. And I pray that we as the church would respond in a manner that would be pleasing to God. And that response is that we would celebrate along with you. I believe this congregation will celebrate with you. We love you. Reedy Branch, we love you. We miss you. We're continuing to pray that God would eradicate this virus. That God would send the proper treatment or that God would send us the proper vaccine. That we're soon we're able to congregate together again. And when that comes, oh, what a joyous day that shall be. But a grander and a more joyous day will be that day when Jesus comes and receives us unto himself. I hope you're looking for that day. I hope you're ready for that day. And I pray that God blesses each one of you.